Standing Ready, the podcast that gives you an inside look at the untold history of the VA's medical innovations with your hosts, Katie DeLaCensory and Sean Spittler. So we're kind of talking about this episode and, and the COVID-19 pandemic and as a historian kind of struggling to identify another moment in history kind of kind of like this one. Right. Like it just sort of speaks to how unique this this moment in time is. And there have been epidemics and pandemics before. Certainly, you know, the AIDS crisis comes to mind, mm-hmm. but really something on this scale and magnitude is how it hasn't really been seen since the 1918 pandemic flu. And when did polio, when was that a problem? Um, so polio was eradicated in the mid 20th century. So in, in terms of, of something that touches the lives of everybody around the planet like this, it's really hard to kind of find something comparable to it, mm-hmm. which just kind of shows how unique this moment is. And, and usually in, in history, you can kind of, you know, look for some sort of touchstone or some sort of precedent or some sort of guiding force. But really, there hasn't really been anything that compares on this scope in this this level and in, in terms of how, how far it has reached. And we're recording this at basically the one year mark from when the VA started to become aware of the pandemic itself. And by the time that this episode releases and, and our audience gets to hear it, it'll be about one year from when we were sent home and told to start teleworking. Yep. You know, I remember when it first started and being told to go home, we thought, you know, hey, cool, I'll get, you know, 30 days to work at home. This is going to be great. Yep. And then it yep. was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll have the whole summer. And now it's like, I want to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I I'm ready. My my life has been upended enough. I'm I'm yeah. kind of done with this. And I was actually in Australia when the shutdowns started to happen. So I was oh, on wow. the other side of the world. Yeah, kind of looking at America, you know, just sort of essentially shut down. And then pretty quickly, I was like, I I got to get out of here. Yeah, or before, you will be stuck. Um, Yes. It's just crazy to me that, you know, I I flew like 32 hours without a mask and really without anything and didn't really know what I was coming back to. And, and again, I thought, oh, well, this will be great. I'll, I'll telework for a while and get over my jet lag. Yeah. It just, and then the the goalposts keep, yeah. And I thought, (laughs) well, here, you know, we'll, we'll be, it'll be summer and we can kind of go back to the office. And then, yeah, it's just really a, a strange Strange is, is an understatement. It, yeah. It's a really unprecedented time. And and my, my daughter, it's interesting because I remember when the hoarding first started. And oh, yeah. we went to Walmart to just grab a few small things. And it was a madhouse. And everything was gone. And my daughter, who's 13, you know, she's kind of getting really upset and, and got mad at my wife and I because we weren't meeting her level of upset and how can we be so calm and my wife and I kind of rolled our eyes and we're like this is something that happens every year you know it's it's the swine right. flu or the bird flu or you know some or like it's mosquito. a snowstorm or, yeah. and you gotta stock up yeah like I you know like I've been here I know exactly yeah. and I just had this perception of this is gonna blow over in a month and we'll all forget about it and I just really did not think that a year later to a year and a half later, we'd still be talking about this and dealing with it. And so, yeah, to say 
that it's weird is really an understatement because it's and so the thought of not ever having a movie theater again is scary yeah, so yeah. i'm glad that for right now they're able to weather the storm but you know it's possible that that could go right uh, the way of the dinosaur i really hope not i like a theater experience is such a unique and special yeah. like thing that and and too i i feel like this with a lot of things you know it'll it'll come back in some form it's not going to look the way it did but i think you know a lot of these things will will be able to weather it it's just yeah. it's going to be it, it's our our definition of of normal is isn't going to be what it was right and i started the va in august of last year it was pretty much my first week in the studio as a producer and i heard Dr. Stone, who's about to be our guest here in a few minutes, talking about how the VA was at kind of the forefront of both COVID therapeutics and helping test some of the uh, potential vaccines. This blew my mind because here I am working for an organization and I did not realize how involved they were with this type of thing. And I don't want to say they were to the tip of the spear, but they're really close. Right. To the, being the tip right. of the spear of some of this stuff. It was something that was like, the, the world has to hear this. They have to know about how the VA is involved in this. And since then, I've, I've met you and I've met a few other people and we've been working on projects and just I've been really trying to get the information out so that the general public can be aware of how involved the VA is in their life without them even realizing it, even if they're not a veteran. Right, right. Because there's just so much going on and, and VA is leading so many of these things that it's really worth worth talking about, especially when you couple it with, with the history of, of everything. Because, you know, sort of like you, I started in July of, of 2020 and immediately was put in this world of the 75th anniversary. So I yeah. immediately like went back to, to 1946. And it's so it's such an interesting time to be looking at history like this, because, you know, while I was looking at the crisis that the Veterans Administration faced at the end of World War Two with millions of um, veterans coming home, I was like, wait, 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 I know this story. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this this is the same organization that responded to the healthcare needs of millions in the 40s and is now responding to healthcare needs of veterans in a very different climate and crisis, but it's also very similar at the same time. So it's really interesting to sort of have these two sort of juxtapositions. You know, the, the world looks different, the challenges are different, but the mission has always sort of been the same. Without further ado, let's, uh, let's introduce Dr. Stone. Dr. Stone, welcome to the podcast. It's very exciting to have you here. Yes, thank you very much for taking time from your schedule to, to talk with us. Well, thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. Sir, welcome to the program again. And I just wanted to start, if you could tell us a bit about the road that brought you to being the executive in charge and, and what does that role encompass here at VHA? Well, I came out of uniform after 23 years plus in uniform. And when I came out, I went into industry and uh, worked in the consulting industry, had a great time. I worked with some wonderful people in industry, but I had a lot of trouble. You know, when, when I was in uniform, every day I put my uniform on and I realized I was doing God's work and I was doing the country's right. work. Mm -hmm. And when I got the opportunity to come to the VA, it was a chance to reconnect to the mission. And uh, I found it incredibly satisfying. 
I was here in 2016 and 17 and then left again for a year and then was asked to come back. And I will tell you, it's an extraordinary mission of really caring for America's veterans and fulfilling the nation's responsibility to our heroes. And in the chance to do that, I really feel very similar to what I did when I was in uniform working every day. That's that's great. Thank you, sir. We appreciate your service both to, to the country and, and to the VA. As a veteran myself, I, I appreciate all the work that you do for the VA. I, I get a lot of my service through, through VA. So thank you, sir. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And I love the system. I love how I'm treated. And I, I think that that's a reflection of why 90% of veterans recommend the VA services to other veterans. It really reflects the, the fact that we all feel comfortable here. Right. Dr. Stone, this year we're commemorating a historical event uh, with the 75th anniversary of the Veterans Health Administration. While we're living in the midst of a historical moment right now, can you place the COVID-19 pandemic in a historical context for us? Is there anything that compares to this in your lifetime that you've seen? No, I don't think that there is, uh, has ever been an event like this uh, in the last hundred years. And certainly people have compared it to the great influenza of 1918. And uh, I think we're in a very similar challenge. Certainly we understand way more about viruses than they did in 1918 when they were challenged by this. And, And certainly the development of vaccine has occurred much faster, but we are growing up processes that really have not been used I guess uh, maybe in the Sabin and Salk vaccines when they came out for children with at risk for polio, I can remember very early in my life uh, lining up in a gymnasium to receive either a sugar cube or an injection. And that type of vaccination is probably as close as we've gotten to it. So I would consider this a, a really what uh, people describe as a black swan event, you know, an event that just is none of your experience really gets you ready for. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. yet, uh, the organization has to respond to it. Yeah. As an aside question, was VA involved in any part of the, the AIDS epidemic? And, and did that maybe help us prepare at, at all for this? I think we certainly the answer is yes. Uh, the VA was involved in the AIDS epidemic and it was uh, very active in the research on various protocols regarding uh, HIV and the prevention of HIV in communities and public health. Right. But even that was in a focal area of the community. And uh, although a worldwide problem uh, was much different than what we're experiencing, where the entirety of the nation's economy has been turned on its head and the behavior of all Americans has been turned on its head by this. Dr. Stone, I understand you're a bit of a history buff. So did you reach back to any experience of yours or in VA's history to kind of help guide some of your decision making in in responding to the pandemic? Yeah, I think that driving towards agility in the system is something that I go back to my combat time and the early on after 9-11, some of the work we did that we really literally broke the bureaucracy of the military in order to get out the door faster and to respond to uh, what I saw in combat. I I think very similarly here, uh, much of the direction I've given to the senior leadership team and the senior field leaders has been to get to 60% on any decision 
and then I've got your back, but make a decision mm -hmm. and move, even right. if the bureaucracy does not seem to align. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been very difficult for much of the bureaucracy to respond to this, but I'll give you an example. It was taking us 100 days plus to hire people. And uh, mm -hmm. that's just unacceptable in the midst of a pandemic that could have taken out in the Italian uh, medical personnel. They lost 11 to 15 percent of their personnel. We have wow. 360,000 personnel. What if we had lost 50,000 people like the Italians had? Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't. And thank God for that. But uh, we needed to drive hiring down to three days. And right. uh, got tremendous support from the Office of Personnel Management at really changing the bureaucracy. My view is show a, a healthy disrespect for uh, some of those long processes. And I don't mean that you have to be rude or do something criminal. But what I'm saying is uh, the bureaucracy at times does not really meet the needs that you have as an organization. And therefore, we literally have broken the bureaucracy. Now, there's risk. And the risk of that is that you could be wrong. And mm -hmm. the second uh, sort of principle upon which we've laid is don't be afraid to say you went down the wrong road and change paths. And if you're going to go with a 60% decision, you've got to constantly re-examine where you've led the organization and uh, be willing to change paths. We've got lots of examples of that. The most recent one was we had decided that we wouldn't vaccinate caregivers. Well, the caregivers are the people with the veteran all day long. We changed mm -hmm. that decision just this week. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a very good decision, but you know that again challenged the bureaucracy of did we have the authority to do that? As a veteran and, and working for the VA, I've noticed that we are a very veteran-heavy organization in terms of people who, who are employees. Do you find that that type of thinking is easily accepted and adapted because that, that seems to be a very military mindset to be to be able to pivot. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. You know, of the 364,000 of us that work for VHA, a third of us are veterans. And I think it's much easier for people that have served in, you know, the vast majority of, of has, have served in combat. I think it's much easier for us to uh, to really pivot and, and move. But I will tell you, the entirety of this organization has moved beautifully from the logistics supply chain to uh, those delivering bedside care who have been creative and innovative in delivering. Now, coming out of a sort of zero defect culture model where there was little tolerance for error, it has been very, very difficult for a few individuals to, to say, okay, I'm willing to take risk. There had to be the assurance that, you know, we literally had people's back uh, yeah. as made those decisions. And, and that strength and confidence has grown as they've watched me and my senior leadership team respond to issues and problems. And how do we respond to the media? Did we have their back? You'll see lots of people shy away from taking risk if, in fact, you know, we don't behave in the way we should. And so it's been a uh, pretty extraordinary uh, growth as we've uh, mm -hmm. gone through this last year of this COVID pandemic. 
So I just find it remarkable that we're celebrating the 75th and there are so many parallels to what was going on 75 years ago with, with what's happening today. You mentioned you know, challenging the bureaucracy, changing hiring practices during a time of crisis. And that's exactly what General Omar Bradley and, and Dr. Paul Hawley did when they came into the VA. As, as you know, they were so able to just kind of come in and, and challenge an antiquated system with, with a battlefield-like mentality as they faced their own challenge and, and crisis of providing care for 16 million returning you know, World War II veterans. One of the bureaucracies they broke was, was taking hiring practices outside of the civil service system in, in order to, to hire doctors more quickly. So I just, I just think it's from a historical perspective, it's fascinating to see how much we can, we can draw on the past and, and how that applies to us today. Well, I'll tell you, you bring up an important point. And uh, Dr. Hawley came out of an extraordinary career where he had served as the, as the lead of the European theater medical care system. I think both he and uh, General Bradley came in with a really clear vision of where they wanted to go. They really took on the bureaucracy. And what was interesting was because of the large amount of capital coming in at that time to, to build the system, he immediately had to take on Congress who had some parochial ideas of uh, where hospitals should be built. And their concept, and when I say there, I'm talking about Dr. Holly and Omar Bradley, had, had the concept that, you know, we must deliver care at the highest possible level and therefore being co-located to medical schools and academic hospitals is what had to happen. Their ability to really deliver that is, is frankly the strength of the system today, all these many years later. And what they accomplished in a two-year period is really extraordinary. And is there is a reflection of really a wartime mentality. I cannot tell you how in awe I am of the work that they accomplished and really delivered right. what mm -hmm. we are now experiencing for the first time as the nation uh, takes on this uh, worldwide pandemic. You have a lot of parallels, it, it seems like, maybe, maybe even in broad strokes, but uh, with Dr. Holly. And so I imagine you've probably reflected on that. Does that connection carry any meaning to you? Do you think about that? Well, I, I'm going to say this in a fairly lighthearted mood to say to you, they described him as an extraordinary curmudgeon. And um, <laughs> so uh, I guess maybe in, a, in the same way. But I think it, it was his, his clear vision and his willingness to absolutely move in the face of bureaucratic resistance is is one that that I would liken to. I remember early in the war, I was tasked with getting the primary combat hospital out and ready to go to move to Beaumont, Texas from Wisconsin, where we were preparing the equipment for combat readiness. Mm -hmm. And I was told that uh, we couldn't get the uh, hospital on an 85 car train uh, to move to Beaumont, Texas to ship with the 4th Infantry. Okay. Uh, that moving uh, into uh, Turkey and then down into Iraq, which was going to stop the entire invasion that was anticipated from that part of the war. It was literally because people didn't want to pay overtime on a Friday night and a Saturday. And it, it sounds just completely ridiculous, but I drove my Humvee across the rail and stopped a train, and we then loaded that train and turned it around and got it to Beaumont, Texas. Now, it, 
set off to sea, and then the Turks decided they didn't want us mm -hmm. there, and I actually lost that hospital for about a year until we were able to recover it. But I will tell you that it was the same sort of model, I think, that Dr. Hawley and Dr. Bradley had as they designed the missions that we now have brought to life. And I quite honestly believe that I'm sort of fulfilling the vision that they had as we move forward of, of, of how this should be. The other, I think, vision that we've tried to fulfill is a decade or so ago, Dr. Ken Kaiser really designed the evolution of the delivery system from a pure inpatient delivery system, as was commonplace in the 1940s, to one with a heavy ambulatory bend. Dr. Kaiser was, did not have the chance to build the feedback loop of his idea being that there should be incredible creativity and innovation mm -hmm. out in the field. And what he never got to build, uh, but if you read his writings, you will see that you know he knew he needed a feedback loop to learn the lessons in the field. And if you listen to our Health Operations Center morning stand-up, it is an extraordinary opportunity for us to listen to things that are going really well in an area of the country, then to propagate those things very quickly and to make policy literally on the fly that allows uh, the entirety of the delivery system to move forward quickly. You know, we, uh, we've been standing up this new process of delivering vaccines, and my own view is that we ought to be expending as much vaccine as they give us each week. And so if they give us 100,000 first doses each week, then we ought to expend those 100,000 on a weekly basis. We shouldn't have stuff sitting in our uh, freezers. Right. Mm -hmm. As we've stood up those processes, the ability to listen to a vision leader who's just executed a mass vaccination in San Antonio or in Lake Nona, Florida, and what lessons learned they've had and right down to how many vaccines can be delivered per hour per, per team is one that the whole organization learns very quickly. And then no one has to interpret my impression when I say, this is the model we're gonna follow. I'll get you a document, but don't wait, start executing today. And it's that kind of a learning organization and deference to the expertise in the field that really we've talked so much about in our high reliability transformation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that you're fulfilling that vision of Dr. Holly's. Having been around you, working in the studio, listening to you talk and and your vision and and you know i've only worked here six months and i've i've watched how things have moved so fluidly in in a positive way so i i definitely appreciate that and and see it and as somebody who's studied dr holly a lot and you know leading up to the 75th anniversary i absolutely see see the parallels he was very no nonsense and and just did whatever it took to get the best health care to, to these veterans who deserve it. And so I, I think there's a lot of strong parallels. And I, I also think that you're, you embody the spirit of Dr. Holly and the podcast is named after Dr. Holly. Standing Ready was the motto of an army hospital that was named after him. So it, it's the mission for our show. Well, I, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that I think he'd be very proud of the organization as it exists today and, and how it's proceeded and how far it's come from some of the dark days of the 2014 era where 
where literally the organization could not respond to rapid growth in a warm weather community. And therefore, waiting lists were created that were unacceptable. And I think we've shown the ability to move in a very nimble manner. People are uh, are simply amazed that we can move this quickly and, and that we can do so in an effective manner. And I'm really proud of the leadership across uh, both central office and the field that have, have just figured out how to move this well. They're continually learning that there are, you know, every time they think they're at their limit and the things they can take on, something else happens and they just take it on. Whether it be a new uh, state home that has had an outbreak that they need to support or a Native American healthcare system that's overwhelmed that they need to support or a new requirement that, that comes to us. And I, I fully expect that, you know, even though I described that we're in the last mile of this pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, that last mile may take us nine months to a year. And there's lots of challenges to come. Yeah. It's interesting because as, as a kid in history class, you know, history was something that happened to people before I was born. And so, but now as an adult and realizing I'm living in a historical moment, I'm curious, what do you hope historians 75 years from now will write and say about how VHA is handling this moment? That we saved every life we could. Mm-hmm. That's a motto that uh, really reflected the fact that our priority is saving lives. We're a really good system at caring for uh, critically ill patients. People don't recognize that there was, in 2014, there was never a question about the quality of healthcare. We couldn't get in, we couldn't recreate ourselves effectively. This is a system that for decades has delivered extraordinary care, really has been on the forefront of medical advances, whether it be the first liver transplant or the first cardiac pacemaker, or developing uh, the radioimmunoassay studies that now many of your blood tests are are put through, Mm -hmm. um, that, that got a Nobel Prize for one of our researchers. These are the things that this system should be remembered for. By the same token, in this, I think what historians will write is that we were honest enough to, to look at how we delivered a responses to a public health emergency and then recreate ourselves to, to respond to this. And when you think about it, think about the fact we grew 4,000 beds in March and April of this year. Wow. Reconfigured ourselves to add thousands of beds, our engineers almost overnight created negative airflow processes. Uh, now, some of them didn't look very pretty. What does that mean? Uh, it means that if you have an infection that spreads a virus or a bacteria in the air, right? you have to control the airflow in that room okay. so that the air doesn't come out in the hallways and infect everybody else or go into another room. Right. Create a negative pressure that sort of sucks the air back in Got and it. exhausts the air to the outside. Our engineers were able to create thousands of negative airflow rooms. That's an extraordinary process. And they 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 really pivoted from much of the work they were doing in sustaining the infrastructure mm-hmm. to changing the infrastructure. I think the other thing that is extraordinary, let's think about New Orleans. When we built the New Orleans hospital, it happened to be built that it could be completely changed into an intensive care hospital. It went from 20 intensive care beds to 100 almost overnight, meaning that that hospital 
could be a resource to the community around it because it had huge critical care capability. And so our ability to be the backstop to the American healthcare system, I looked at you know, nearly a million hospital beds and, and 6,000 hospitals and thought, well, how in the world can our system at 175 hospitals be a backstop to the nation? You can't replace what's out there in those mm-hmm. 6,000 hospitals. But what you can do is to take the sickest patients. And when you take those sickest patients, you remove huge amounts of demand on the commercial healthcare systems as right. we fulfill a mission that we do really, really well. And I think when people look back on us, that will be the legacy of the system. And this response is the fact that we took really critically ill patients and we delivered extraordinary care to them and delivered them back to their homes, thus saving every life that we possibly could. Yeah. So on this program, we're focused on how history and VHA's legacy has fueled and inspired innovating work happening today. I know you've talked about this a little bit related to COVID, but can you talk about some of the other innovations that you're seeing coming out of VHA that you're excited about and how that's propelling us into the next 75 years? Boy, there's a bunch. Let me say to you, one of the things I've always been intrigued with is 3D printing. Most of us have, have viewed early on as, wow, this is like a toy. It's almost like where the computer was very early on. It was like a toy. We've seen this massive advance in 3D printing. We mainly do uh, non-metal printing at this point, deferring to Department of Defense uh, and Walter Reed that we partner with for metal-based printing. But we've seen this tremendous advance in surgical modeling where we can take a CT scan or an MRI tie it into our 3D printers and create a model, blood vessels, nerves, and tumor that a surgeon is about to go after. When a surgeon or a surgical team can actually hold a tumor in their hand and think about how they're going to approach that surgeries, we've seen dramatic reductions in surgical time Mm. as well as uh, surgical complications. Uh, related to that kind of work. It's extraordinary. Now, we've now commandeered some of that work and grown many of those uh, 3D printers into now uh, doing agile manufacturing. Three of our medical centers were just approved as agile manufacturing centers uh, by the Food and Drug Administration. Oh, wow. We're now printing many of the swabs that are going up the nose for COVID testing. As you remember, there was a huge shortage of those early on Mm -hmm. in this. Uh, We started printing them ourselves. We're also printing self-contained breathing hoods for high-risk procedures where we're tying some things that we buy into things that we print. And we've actually licensed our intellectual property to two manufacturers who are sharing with us uh, the proceeds of wow. delivering uh, these what we call paper hoods or personal protective devices. But we're doing a lot of that kind of work. So I'm really proud of that. Yeah. The second thing uh, that I'm, I'm really excited about is many people do not recognize that we are the largest provider of cancer services in the nation. Mm. 50,000 veterans uh, are under care with us for cancer, about 200 new patients a day are being diagnosed with cancer in our hospitals. Our genomic work 
in our million veteran program, now tied to some of the genomic studies that we're doing in the ability to, to really diagnose and analyze uh, mutations in gen genetic material coming out of cancer samples or out of patients has allowed us to really develop what we've called precision oncology. Oh, where we take a patient with very advanced cancer. In fact, uh, a year ago, we presented two lung cancer patients who had uh, massive metastasis, even including brain metastasis. The fact that we, in essence, have reversed those cancers using precision oncology techniques and genetic mutation analysis. We've done that in cooperation with the Department of Energy high-level computing ability. I will tell you, it's, uh, it's one of the most exciting advances we could possibly have. The Prostate Cancer Foundation has helped us develop more than a dozen prostate cancer centers. We now are developing multiple lung cancer centers. And then we're tying that into our telemedicine work so that if you're a veteran in rural Montana, mm -hmm. you've got the same access to high-level specialists at Duke University or at uh, Pittsburgh, just like you live next door to them. So that we see this evening out of the ability to deliver high-level treatment planning to a patient, regardless of where they are in the nation. Yeah, 50% of veterans living in rural areas, it's a chance to reach them effectively and not have them at a disadvantage in the, in the chance to survive their, uh, their challenge of their cancer. So those are two areas that I'm really excited about and how we're proceeding. Yeah, those <laughs> that's all fascinating. A lot of that I didn't even know about. So it'd be it would be very interesting to start following up on some of that, especially uh, the, the type of podcast that this is. So thank you for filling us in on that. As we close here, Katie mentioned earlier that the name of our show is Standing Ready and, and how that is directly tied back to Dr. Holly coming from the motto of the Army Hospital. Can you tell us what does standing ready mean to you? Well, it means that we're ready to do whatever the nation should ask of us. And with every generation of veteran, their challenges are a little bit different. And whether it be burn pit exposure or Agent mm -hmm. Orange exposure or complex pelvic trauma from a dismounted infantryman who's been hit by an IED, what we must do is be ready to accept whatever challenge that a service member may meet. We must be in partnership with them to find the best solutions to really lead the nation in the manner of advancing health care. And finally, should the next pandemic, earthquake, hurricane come, we must stand ready to provide whatever support the American civilian population needs to make sure that they are safe and we fulfill the expectation of our four missions that the country has given us. To me, that's what standing ready means. It means that you must acknowledge that there is some degree of grayness, mm -hmm. murkiness to what we approach, but we must always be willing to push the limits of, uh, of what we can deliver and do that in a manner that accepts and welcomes every single veteran we possibly can and every American that needs our support. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Dr. Richard Stone, executive in charge at the Veterans Health Administration, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much for having me. 
All right, that was Dr. Stone, executive in charge here at the Veterans Health Administration. Thank you so much, Dr. Stone, for being part of the show. Katie, what do we have in store for the listeners next week? So next week, we're going to be talking with the VA Voluntary Service a little bit about their history. And even though volunteers have been around for as as long as the Veterans Health Administration has been around, we're going to delve into that a little bit more while also seeing how they've innovated in terms of how they've been responding to to COVID-19 and how the pandemic has, has shaped voluntary services at VA. I'm very excited. Me too. 